Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. I got to tell you all a story about... I felt like I overdosed, man. And and I'm not laughing about this, but y'all know. So it's no secret that I don't take, I don't take medication. I I refuse it. It's, I mean, it's just not something I've wanted to do, um, for my mental health. And I'm going to explain, I'm going to explain something to you because I don't take medication. I don't, I'm ignorant to medication. All right. I don't really understand it. It scares me to even think about taking it because of what it can do. I'm going to tell you a true story. So y'all know I still get help. I still, I still see therapists. I still see psychologists. Um, I like to learn about myself so I can improve myself. I'm not, I'm not, um, so ignorant and arrogant to think that I'm good just the way that I am and everybody can adjust to me. If there's adjustments I can make in my life to make me a better man, I'm going to do that. If there's something that I can learn about that's going to make me a better man, then I'm going to do that. So I still I still go regularly to get help. Actually, I say I go I, honestly. It's not. I don't even know if it's for help. It's more. It's more of uh, I go for the education of it. I like to learn why I tick the way that I tick. You know and um, I think the beauty of therapy is to be able to talk to somebody who you cannot relate to, because if I talk to a man like me or a woman like me, we're probably going to have the same cynical conversation as opposed to when I talk to my therapist, the rock star that she is, I can, I get to see different sides of things and I get to see, um, different solutions to the same problems where I would typically have tunnel vision to the solution to those problems. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something because one, I don't discourage people from taking medication. All right. That's never my intent. My intent is to be transparent about my stuff in hopes that it can help other people. If you need medicine, then I encourage you to take medicine. If medicine is what helps you, then I encourage you to do what, whatever works for you. But I I just, it's not my thing. So I've been, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, I've been prescribed, um, antidepressants 
Okay. Um, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy. Hang on a second. Those antidepressants were, were supposed to start off at a um, small dose. Okay. Now I don't, I don't take them. I'll just, I'm going to be honest with you. My wife picked them up recently. She picked them up from the, uh, the pharmacy. We had medications available. So, oh my gosh, I gotta go get these medicines. So she went and got them. All right. I never saw them. Just put them away. So she, she grabs those medicine, puts them away. Well, a couple weeks later, I end up going back to my doctor. He ends up writing another prescription for an extremely powerful dose of this stuff. Okay. Like extremely because you're supposed to build up to that dose. And his understanding is that I was building up to that. Well, I wasn't doing my job as a patient. I'm just going to say that because I'm scared. I'm scared of the dependency that it might create. Well, I didn't think anything of it. I go on the road. I come back. Um, I got, you know, if you listen to the last episode, I had just recovered from COVID. But before that I had, I had, um, a respiratory infection. So I go to the ER. We thought it was COVID. It wasn't, it was a respiratory infection. And the, uh, the doctor goes, man, I'm going to put you on a heavy dose of antibiotics to knock this thing out. So I was like, all right, cool. Well, the doctor writes prescription. My dumb ass goes and picks up the prescription. When I'm at the window, the lady goes, Hey, we have two prescriptions here for you. I see. Yeah, all right, whatever. I figured it was just the doctor wrote two prescriptions. I totally forgot about the antidepressant prescription. All right. I take them home. I'm already loaded on uh, Dayquil. I've been on Dayquil for like four days up until that point. Nyquil at night. So I got all this Dayquil, Nyquil mixed in my body. I'm not feeling right anyway. One of them says take just before bedtime. The other one says take twice a day. So I popped this antibiotic. It was it was nighttime. And then I pop the other one that says take just before bedtime. And then I wash it down with NyQuil. Here I am. I thought I was taking antibiotics. Okay. What I was taking was an extremely powerful antidepressant. And I didn't realize it with the antibiotics. So I was mixing medications and the NyQuil. People, when I tell you the next morning when I barely woke up, <laughs> I didn't know my name. I'm stumbling around the house. I looked like Saddam Hussein when they pulled him out of that hole and he was all dirty and his hair was messed up and his beard was raggedy. Do y'all remember that image? If you don't, go Google it. That's what I look like. I actually text my wife. She said, how are you feeling? I said, I feel like Saddam Hussein in a hole. And I sent her a picture and she's like, wow. I laid on the couch all day drooling on myself. I could not move. I am a guy who will not take a medicine for a headache, barely. I will slam a goodies powder. That's about it. I don't, my body doesn't work well with medication. People, I thought I was dying. My wife comes home that night and she's like, I don't know what to do. And I said, I don't know. I looked at her dead in the face and I said, I feel like I'm going to die. I couldn't even lift my hands. I couldn't hold my head up for five minutes without falling back asleep. That night I was like, well, I guess I just go and drink more NyQuil and go to bed because I need this to be done so I can go on the road. I went in there. I looked at my medication 
and it said, take one before bed. And when I did, I saw the doctor's name on it. I actually read the thing and I go, holy shit. And I spun it around and I, I went and showed my wife. I go, this is why I'm fucked up. I took this antidepressant. This is a, a level of antidepressant that now, mind you, you're supposed to build up to over the course of weeks. And I took it and I washed it down with NyQuil and there was DayQuil in my body already. Boom. Problem solved. People, that's why you don't mix medications. That's why it's important that you pay attention when you are taking medications. Please read the fucking bottle. Read who the doctor that wrote it. Read what the prescription is. That could have been deadly if it were something else. Who God knows. You know what I mean? Like it's... That's how people accidentally overdose. They just aren't aware of what they're taking. I had two orange bottles. I thought they came from one doctor. I thought I was supposed to be taking two medicines that were, because I'm not a medicine expert. Get out of my face. Be careful, people. So I'm not drooling on myself anymore. I'm excited about that. I'm going to tell you something. And and I promised my wife I was never going to tell anybody this because I know, I know that it's going to sound crazy and I know nobody's going to believe it. And I told her, I said, if I ever mention this to anybody, they're going to think I'm full of shit. And she's the only person that knows this in the world. Right. But I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. And when I tell you there's a number that haunts me, there has been a number for 20 something years now that haunts me. All right. And you're going to think I'm crazy. You're going to think, okay, maybe you see it every once in a while, whatever. And and I'm telling you, I have seen this number in ways where it doesn't even make sense. This number just appears. Every single day I see it. I'm going to tell you right now. I will see it in just the smallest things. Whether, And I'm not even going to be able to give you enough I hate that I'm even telling you all this because I know how crazy this is going to sound and how like full of shit it's going to sound, but it is not. If my wife were here right now, she'd be shaking her head laughing because every single time I, she thought at, in the beginning, right? Long time ago, she's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. And then I was like, all right, every time I see it, I take a picture or I point it out. And now she's like, holy shit, this is not, this isn't even normal Travis like this is not a normal number anyway and how it appears in your life daily and you know what I've realized I've realized because of this number when I started questioning am I doing the right thing in my life I had a, I had a, there was a period where in the last couple of years I was like am I, am I doing the right thing by talking about mental health am I doing the right thing by talking about this unpopular topic and trying to help firefighters understand and help law enforcement officers understand and help their spouses understand. Because when I was getting started, it was rough, man. It still is. I mean, there's still people that don't understand it, that, that don't support it. Granted, you're not going to get support from, from everybody all the time. I mean, I understand that, but this is something that's never been done before with what I'm doing. Post-traumatic purpose. There's nobody has ever done this. Nobody's doing it now. It cannot be duplicated. I don't give a shit how good a speaker is or whatever. They can't duplicate what I do. And I think that's why it's so special. All right. I'm going to tell you this number. I don't mean to keep you on pins and needles. I'm trying to find a way to damn to describe it. If I wake up in the morning to pee 
it is this time of the day. So it's a three-digit number, right? In the afternoon, if something's going on for some reason, every afternoon I see this time. It's not common to see a three-digit number everywhere, but I'm telling you, it's not just bumper stickers. It's not just commercials on TV. This fucking number haunts me, but I've realized what's going on now. I've realized that, again, I'm not a, I'm not a spiritual person. I'm not religious, but I'll be damned if I'm not thinking about converting because I think somebody is telling me something. And y'all, you tell me. The number's 343, and that's the number of firemen that were killed in the 2001 Trade Center incident in New York, all right? I obviously was not a New York firefighter. I'm not trying to attach myself to that. I'm not trying to pretend like I was a New York firefighter. I was a firefighter here during that time. I was on duty that day, and we watched it on a television set from many safe miles away, all right? I'm not trying to attach myself to that incident. That's why this whole time in my life, I don't understand why that number has been following me. And man, when I tell you it follows me, it fucking follows me. I know there's every firefighter out there understands the, the power of 343. They have the stickers. They're on their trucks. You know, we never forget all that. I get that. But I see that number in ways that I can't even describe to you. And my wife can back it up. Cause she gets annoyed. Cause every time I'm like, see, see, see. And I still, and she knows, and I still prove it to her. But now I realize something. She actually told me one day, she goes, Travis, you ever think that that number appears so many times because it's letting you know that you are doing what the fuck you're meant to do. You are where you need to be. And that number, whenever you start doubting that is reminding you stay the course at all costs. You stay the course. And as crazy as that sounds, people, this is something I have kept inside of me for 20-something years. I have never told another single person about this because I know how crazy it sounds. I wish that I could give you all of the instances where it's happened because if I could sit here and lay them all out right now and show you the document, you would be like, holy shit, that is not normal. I have seen it in the clouds before. I'm telling you, I have seen this thing Everywhere. And see, I was, you would think the number would be nine because I was involved in the Charleston nine where we lost nine of our guys. You would think if I saw any number all of the time, the number would be nine. That's my number. That belongs to me. I was a part of that. I knew those guys, but that's not the number that shows up multiple times a day in my life. You would think it only show up two times a day and that's on the clock. There's only two 343s every day, p.m. and a.m. That's it. But it's not just the clock. Man, it's receipts. It's how much you paid for this. It's the gas station prices. It's everything I, everything I do, I'll see it. I passed a girl the other day. The last, the last one that I passed the other day, I took a picture of it. And I told my wife, I said, look at this bullshit, right? I was in traffic. And uh, there was a parking pass on this girl's back window. And her parking permit number was 343. And I was like, go figure. I know that doesn't do it any justice. I, I can't explain to you how much the number haunts me. But now I don't look at it as haunting. I look at it as, as it's blessing me almost. Because I truly feel now 
when I go around and I get to teach and I get to do what I love to do, I get to do my passion. I get my passion is what I do for a living. How, how much more blessed can I be? Right. And no matter how hard it gets, I think I'm constantly reminded, stay the course because this is what's needed and you're right where you need to be. All right, moving on. I know y'all going to think I'm crazy for that. Man, I'm glad I got that off my chest. See, it's um, it's good to get things off your chest. It's not good to hold things in all the time. I want to tell you something else I did that was very uncomfortable. But I did this, and I think I think it was very helpful to my wife. Because now she could see it. I showed her my injuries on paper. You see, when you're dealing with mental health, I talk about it all the time. I don't need to rehash it. We're not dealing with broken bones and casts that you can see and you know somebody's struggling. You're dealing with an invisible injury that nobody can see, hence why nobody can understand it. When you're just in certain moods and you act certain ways, nobody can see what's really troubling you. And so it's hard for them to figure out how to help you. It's almost impossible for them to see that you need help. Like they don't, they just don't know how to do it. Well, it's one thing telling them my wife has always known I've talked to her. We've had conversations. She's always known, but she's never seen it. Well, recently, recently I got a hold of my psychiatric paperwork and it's scary. It's, um, when you actually see what the doctor says on paper, when you actually, when you do all these tests that they, that they, they require you to, to take so they can determine just how, how changed you are as a human being, hearing it's one thing, but seeing it on paper and seeing your scores compared to the charts is a whole nother ball game. I got these reports in <clears throat> and it was, um, I don't remember all the terminology, but it was like my, my anxiety. It was my post PTSD exposure. It was, uh, the depression. It was your, um, your sleep, your sleep pattern. I'll just tell you this. The charts said one thing and the charts maxed out at certain numbers. I was past all of it. Still, all these years later, I'm still higher than the charts. It blew my mind because here I am managing and I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm doing better. Yeah, I have some shitty days, but I'm doing, I'm doing better. Whoo wee boy bullshit. Like you, you are, you know what I, you know what I'm doing better at? And this is kind of the beautiful thing. And this is why I tell people when you're, when you're diagnosed with post-traumatic stress, the beautiful part part is you get to work on it. It doesn't have to be whatever the paper says it is. You get to work on it. I don't even know. I think all of my, my, my stuff is elevated, but you know what I think I've gotten better at? I think I've gotten better at managing because I've worked on managing and I don't let it manage me. So there's a difference. I used to say this thing and I know it's corny. I used to say it to myself in these bad situations I would get in. People are always like, well, what are your, what are your uh, remedies? And like, what do you do? 
And I was like, I just, I, I, I stop and I think to myself, and this is one thing I used to say to myself, I have PTSD. It doesn't have me. And I know that sounds crazy, but what that taught me to do was in a, in a situation when I wanted to overreact, I wouldn't. I would silently say it to myself because PTSD would cause me to react. PTSD would react to that. But I have control over it. It doesn't have control over me. But anyway, let me get back to what I was telling you about. When my wife sat there or she sat there, she leaned over my shoulder when I was showing her on the computer. I said, look, I'm going to open these medical files up and I'm going to show you. So you actually understand. Like you have some kind of visual with what you're dealing with. Man, the look in her eyes was almost that of sorrow. Like, I didn't know it was that bad. Like, I knew it was bad. But when you see it on paper, you realize, wow. And I looked at her and I leaned back in my chair and I said, look, this is what I'm up against every single day. Every day. And that's why when you catch me at times when I'm not doing so well, it's because the weight of the world is upon me. It is there. But you got to know I'm doing my best because I could fold. I could lay on the couch all day. I could not go to work. I could I could call out sick. I could not do family events. I could sulk. I could get so fucked up on medicine like I did almost the other day they, that I couldn't function because that's what some people do. Once they get the diagnosis, their life is over. They're like, well, that's it. I'm fucked up. And now I got to just pop pop pills and... And be a shell of myself for the rest of my life. And everybody else around me is going to pay for it. But that's not who I am as a man. That's not who I am. I, I get up and I, and, I, and, I, and I kick its ass every day. It's a fight every day. You know what? I didn't sleep well last night. Okay. Get up and deal with it. You know what? I'm having panic attacks in the middle of the day because I'm, I'm, I'm anxious because of all the shit I've been experienced to. You know what? I'm going to deal with that too. You know what? I'm not happy right now. Because the depression is on me like you could never imagine. But you know what? I'm going to deal with that too. And all the other stuff that comes comes with it. But I think by showing her, that's the only way you can, you can show an invisible injury. And I would encourage people to do the same. I, w- I, w- I would get your diagnosis on paper. Get take, the, take all the different tests. I wish I had all those tests in front of me because I'm at my farm. I actually have that at my other house. Maybe we'll talk about it on another episode. Uh Oh, guess what I just found? I was able to find this. So I'm going to do something that is unprecedented. I'm going to tell you my scores. I'm going to sit here and read them. I'm going to tell you what each, each score is. And I'm going to tell you this to show you I'm still fighting it too. All right. And I haven't given up. And I'm still successful in life. You can get out there and manage. I am completely 100% unmedicated. All right. Again, I'm not pushing anti-medication. But what I'm trying to show you is that you have the ability to function in life without some other kind of crazy psychiatric condition. Now, I don't don't have any, any of that, like that bipolar stuff. I don't have any of that going on. But I'm a normal I'm a normal human being that's been through a lot of shit and I'm paying the price for it and I'm going to go over these scores, my medical records with you. This is to the universe. This is not something people do. But I'm going to do it 
for the purpose of this. For when you get diagnosed, it gives you an opportunity to learn about yourself and it gives you an opportunity to grow. And I want to show you that still, even with these extremely elevated numbers, yes, I have shit days, but I'm still able to have a very, very good life without letting it control me. This is going to be extremely uncomfortable for me to put this out there, but I'm going to, because I hope that this can help one of you, just, just one of you. All right, here we go. PHQ nine scoring. PHQ nine scoring is what they use to score is what they use to um, scale depression on. All right. Let me pull up the average score. The average PHQ. Oh, excuse me. No, let me just pull up the chart. Excuse me. PHQ nine scoring starts at five and goes up to twenty seven. Five being five to nine is mild. 10 to 14 is moderate, 15 to 19 is moderately severe, 20 to 27 is severe, all right? 20 to 27. My PHQ-9 score is 23, so that puts me in the severe category for depression, all right? Understand that. Next, we're going to talk about anxiety disorder, Okay. This didn't just come about one day. It wasn't like, okay, all of a sudden you're anxious. I I like to um, talk about hypervigilance. When people, when I talk about hypervigilance, people don't understand. Like I am extremely hypervigilant. There's a lot of anxious moments in my life, but I learned to control them. All right. This is called GAD7 scoring. Okay. I'm going to go over the scores with you. GAD7 scoring is for anti or is for anxiety disorder. A score of 0 to 4 is minimal anxiety. A score of 5 to 9 is mild anxiety. A score of 10 to 14 is moderate anxiety. A score greater than 15 is severe anxiety. All right? Greater than 15. My GAD7 score is 19. It's way greater than 15. So that's severe anxiety disorder, okay? Now they've got those two going for us. All right, I was trying to find a chart for the um, what they call the PCL5 um, range, and that's for post-traumatic um, stress symptoms. And I was finding patients may need treatment when they hit around the 30 score mark. All right, and this is just like this is me. Obviously, I'm no doctor. I'm just a dumbass just trying to you know, relay this info to y'all. I was looking for a chart, hoping that they would have a chart with different ranges and I couldn't find it. Please don't forward me a chart. I don't need it because once this is out there, it's already out there. All right. But my PCL score, they're saying you need treatment around the 30 mark. It's a patient may or may not need treatment. My around the 30 to 33 mark, my PCL score for trauma is a 62, right? That's way over 30. And I think you max out at 80. Now I do remember years ago that tells me my numbers have come down i'm actually pleased with that because i maxed out years ago when i did this so this tells me like i'm i'm a little bit better but i'm still still off the charts next we're going to talk about the isi chart and that stands for insomnia severity index 
And anybody that knows anything about mental health or your wellness in general, it all starts with sleep, man. If you cannot sleep, then how are you supposed to get better? Now, when you're looking at an ISI chart, I'm going to tell you the scores right here. It says, if you score between zero and seven, seven, that means no clinically significant insomnia. Eight to 14 is a sub-threshold for insomnia. 15 to 21 is clinical insomnia. That's moderately severe. Then they have this range from 22 to 28, which stands for clinical insomnia, and they list that as severe. That was 20 to 28. My ISI score is a 28. I'm at the absolute tip of that chart for insomnia. So now you look at, I don't get any sleep. The sleep that I get is so messed up that it's severe, clinical clinical insomnia, major depression, through-the-roof anxiety. So do you see what I'm getting at? And there, I mean, there's other stuff in there. I'm not going to keep going through these charts and all that, but those are, those are the big ones, man. And it's, I can still function as a productive member of society. Not to mention, I'm in constant pain that my body's in from injuries sustained when I was in the Marine Corps. Um, the arthritis I have, the, I mean, just, I mean, just keep on, you know, just keep on going, whatever. I'm not trying to put my stuff on a pedestal. What I'm trying to show you is no matter what you're going through. And when you catch a, a PTSD diagnosis, all right, when I, and I tell my classes this, I remember when I was diagnosed, I was ashamed. I, I felt like I had something to be ashamed of. I felt like I wasn't a man anymore. I felt like I'd been stripped of all of that. And I was told that, well, now you're a weak bitch. And I felt like that's what that meant. But what I didn't realize was that it, that was actually an opportunity for me. It was this tremendous opportunity for me to really figure out who I want to become. Do I want this thing to control me for the rest of my life? Do I want to look at these charts and think, man, you're not in control anymore? And, and the answer was no. Regardless of what those charts say, I'm still going to be productive. I'm still going to get out there and try. I'm not going to let that chart beat me down. I'm not going to let those scores discourage me and make me feel like I don't deserve a good place in life. And that is exactly why I just revealed all that to y'all. Because I know people that feel the same way. When they go into that therapist's office, they're scared to death and they're scared of that diagnosis is what it is. They're scared of the truth. A lot of people can't handle the truth. I couldn't, I couldn't handle the truth to save my life when I first, when I first heard about it. But once you have the truth, you actually have the power because it's hard. It's hard to make a, um, bake a cake when you don't know the recipe, when you don't know what goes in it. Right. But when you know what goes in it and you have the recipe, now you can bake a cake if you want to, it's just up to you to do it. And that's exactly what this is, man. A diagnosis, all it is is a, it's a recipe for you to get to see how you can improve yourself. Those now invisible injuries are now completely visible to you. You can see them. 
once they're on paper, once you see those scores and they can motivate you. You know, there's nothing more than more motivating than making progress with anything. Okay. Granted, it's hard progress. It's very hard progress. But I just got excited to see that my score, although still elevated, it's not as elevated as it once was years ago. Seeing those scores go backwards, it's, it, it's a beautiful thing. That means, that tells me I'm doing something. That tells me that I'm putting in the work. The scores just don't disappear overnight. They don't just go away. I've been, I've been working on this for a long time. Man, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to actually let this be public knowledge now. Because most people, you know, they want to hide from this stuff. But fuck it, let's learn from it. Let's empower each other because of it. There's nothing to be ashamed of right now. I'll tell you the craziest thing. It's um, when I look at those scores, those scores didn't happen after I was off the job. Those scores were there when I was on the job. You know, you know what cracks me up is, is, is when, when, especially police officers, right? You got you to gotta take a psych exam to get on the job. And your whole thing is like, man, I just need to pass that psych test. I need to pass that psych test. And then when you get on the job, you don't have to take them anymore. You know why? Because the police department doesn't want to know anymore. They don't want that liability. I guarantee you, if I were still on the job, that high score of 62 that I read you would probably be higher. There are so many people on the job that those scores are so elevated that it's scary and they're functioning, they're operating, they're out there enforcing the law. They're going to fires and all this. But the problem is the second they misstep and something goes wrong, they're thrown under the bus. We're not doing enough to take care of our people. I don't think police departments want to know the truth. And I've talked about this in the past. This isn't me dogging police departments by any means, but I'm afraid that they even know, you know what? 90% of our department would have elevated scores. And then what do we do with that? And then when an officer does mess up, well, we knew he had elevated scores, but we weren't doing anything to help. Guess who's liable now? You know, the department, they'd be liable for everything. It's important that we understand and that we recognize that these first responders are different. They are going through some things. And the fact that they are able to hold it all together day in and day out and function as productive members of society and go out there and do their jobs at very high levels. Think about how difficult that must be for many of them. And they still do it. So I want you to just think about that, man. If you catch the diagnosis, if you come, if they... I say catch a diagnosis like you, it's like you, you can catch it like a common cold, but I don't, I don't want to hear, I don't, I don't want to know that people get discouraged from this. You know, I can understand getting discouraged a long time ago because that's what happened to me. But now, man, we just know too much about it now. And I think that we can combat this thing now. All right. So, so you guys do not think I'm crazy. I, you can't make this up. All right. Now, the, the timeline is not going to match up on your podcast because when I tell you the time on here, I'm not recording with the intro. So the intro adds an extra minute. I literally hit stop a second ago after that last part, that last segment. And I hit stop because I had a phone call coming in. And I, I promise you, I'm not making this up. When I hit stop, we were at 34 minutes. 
in three seconds. I, I'm dead serious. That's 343. This is the shit that I'm talking about. I have chill bumps running down my entire body. I, I didn't even know that until I went to hit record again just now. And I looked and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. If this were a video podcast, I, I'd be able to show you that. But it's not a video. And I am not bullshitting when I tell you all that. I very seldom ever hit stop on here. If I hit stop, it's because I need to cough or because there's a noise like a, the ice makers going off or something like that. I'll hit stop and then I'll just hit record again. But again, it stopped it at 34 minutes and three seconds, indicating 343. I'm not crazy. I'm telling you, this stuff is legit. It's going on. I'm, that's telling me we need to be talking about this. I'm doing the right thing, talking about this mental health stuff. I don't care. That's what I'm going with. I'm going to believe it. I'll open up a little bit further to y'all because I know there's a lot of people out there like this. So when you're in these um, adrenaline-filled professions, there's a lot to talk about. And things are always changing. No day is the same, right? We always talk about that, man. I wanted a profession where there was no day, no two days alike. And that, so what that brings is variety. That means that there's a lot of interesting things always happening. So I think a problem with that is this. Uh, one of the main things like me and my spouse never really saw eye to eye with is like, she always told me, we're always talking about you. We're always talking about the things you like to do, the things you want to do, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel horrible when I hear that. And especially when I hear myself say that, hearing her say it's one thing, but when I say it, it's true. Like I, I do talk about what I'm doing a lot because I feel like what I do, I do so many different things all the time and I'm continuously on this journey, like I'm on this journey to continually grow, right? So there's a lot to talk about. Well, what I don't realize is with, with her, when, when it comes across to a spouse, it almost seems like we're not interested in them, right? And I can understand that hundred percent. When you're in a fast paced world where things are ever changing, nothing's the same. So there's a lot to talk about. Well, when your spouse isn't in that fast-paced world and they're not in a profession where things aren't always changing, there's really not a lot to talk about. So I think we ultimately discount whatever's going on in their world, their thoughts, their feelings, their their ambitions, their desires. And I, I, I don't know if that's making sense, but I want I want you, if that's you, I want you to be aware of that. And try to include your spouses more and not talk about so much what you have going on in the world. And maybe some of you aren't like that. Maybe some of you don't talk about what you have going on. I don't know. I always have about a thousand different things going on. So I have a lot to say. Um, I don't intentionally try to make it about me. But apparently I do sometimes. And actually a lot of times. Let's not sugarcoat this. Apparently I do. But the beauty of knowing that is knowing that I can work on that. And I think that is the coolest part of life. It's being able to work on things. You don't always have to be the same exact person you can grow. And that's what this, this whole thing is about growth, right? Who do you want to grow into be? Now we're never going to be perfect. I mean, that's not the goal here, but I think striving to continuously become better is a, is a, is a pretty cool thing.
So if you're always talking about your stuff and talking about what you want to do and um, your dreams and your hopes and all this, why don't just just sit on that for a little while and, and just just simply ask your spouse like, hey, what do you like? What do you want to do in your future? Like, where do you plan on going? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Where do you see yourself in 20 years? What's your thoughts on this? What's your thoughts on that? You know, it's hard when you, when you're, when you're married to an easygoing person. See, my wife's extremely easygoing. Like she doesn't, she's just, she's just cool as a cucumber all the time. And me, I'm, I'm at full fucking throttle all the time. And I think that's where some of that comes in. I don't think it's, has anything to do with selfishness. I just think it's the way that, that my mind, my mind is. And I think a lot of times I'm not even really trying to talk about myself. It's the fact that I'm trying to verbalize my mission. And I'm one of those, like I I speak to myself, like I, I, I let thoughts out because when I hear it, I can, that's when I can like, I can start working on it and building it. But I do need to be aware of that. And I know I'm not the only one because I know there's a lot of dudes that I know a lot of dudes like me, a lot of chicks that are in these professions, same way. When you got a lot going on, there's a lot to talk about. But maybe not put your shit out front so much, you know, talk about it with somebody else for a change and find out what's going on in in your significant other's life. You know, um, Again, I'm no marriage counselor. I can I can show you how to fuck one up. I can do that. Um, I'm pretty I'm pretty uh, pretty well versed in that. Um, so if you want some advice for that, just just lean on me, and I can I can give you pretty much a map on how to how to fuck up relationships with people. So, hey, I hope this I hope this was informative. I know we were kind of spitballing here, and I didn't I wasn't planning on anything. But by the time this comes out, I'll just be getting back from Pittsburgh. I'll be getting back from Middletown, Connecticut, and Center Valley, Pennsylvania. Uh, I got my northeast my little northeast tour coming up here, and uh, I'm excited to get up there uh, because one, I've never been to New England. I've been all over the world six times, and I've never been to New England. I've never been above New York. Uh, I mean, I've been all over New York State. But as far like northeast, as far, I think, as um, the city, New York City is about furthest northeast I've been. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to get to New England. I'm only going to Connecticut. I wish I could hit the others, but maybe I'll get the other ones. Uh, well, but, you know, it's how you eat an elephant is one bite at a time, right? Y'all have a great week. I love y'all. Thank you so much for the support. Later. <laughs>